Welcome back to A Bark, A Brig, and A Schooner Shape History. I'm really excited about this first guest that we have this season. Uh, she has written what is my favorite book so far this year. It's called Pirate Queens, The Lives of Anne Bonny and Mary Reed. And it's an incredible read about two women that were notorious pirates, but had really incredibly fascinating lives. So our guest this week is Dr. Rebecca Simon. Rebecca is a professor of history at Santa Monica College and received her PhD in history from King's College in London in 2017. Her thesis explored the link between public executions of pirates and British supremacy in the 17th and 18th century British Atlantic world. Rebecca has published two books, the first, Why We Love Pirates, The Hunt for Captain Kidd and How He Changed Piracy Forever, and her most recent, Pirate Queens, The Lives of Anne Bonny and Mary Reed in 2022. She's also published articles in the Journal of Maritime History, History Today, BBC History Revealed, and History Extra, among others. Rebecca has appeared in documentaries such as Britain's Outlaws on BBC, The Curse of Oak Island and Beyond Oak Island on the History Channel, and The Lost Pirate Kingdom on Netflix. She can be heard on numerous podcasts such as Real Pirates on Spotify, History Hit, History Extra, and You're Dead to Me. You can also find uh, Rebecca on her website at Rebecca-Simon.com, R-E-B-E-C-C-A-S-I-M-O-N. She's also on Twitter as Becca Lex, B-E-C-K-A-L-E-X, and TikTok at Pirate Becca Lex. That's just Pirate, B-E-C-K-A-L-E-X. Uh, we talk about it in our interview. Her TikToks are actually pretty great and really um, dig into some cool flashes of pirate history and fallacies. I was really excited to have this conversation. We have a great conversation together. And then we get into kind of a lightning round where I have her rate some bits of pirate pop culture, movies, books, art, uh, rate them for accuracy and entertainment, and it was a ton of fun. So without further ado, here is Rebecca Simon. Welcome, Rebecca, and thanks for joining us. And I guess we can start by a little introduction, if you can just tell us who you are and, and what you do. Sure thing. Uh, my name is Dr. Rebecca Simon, and I am a historian of piracy. And my PhD was about public executions of pirates in the early modern British Atlantic world. And I currently teach part-time at Santa Monica College and I write full-time, I write books, I write articles, um, and I do lots of consulta uh, consultancy and advisement. And I also appear in documentaries. So I, um, all about pirates, of course. And I'll just add, you're really blowing up TikTok with over a hundred thousand followers. Uh, just yep. throwing that out there as a little bluff. That's right. <laughs> I'm on TikTok, uh, at the, my username is at pirate Beckalex, B-E-C-K-A-L-E-X. Uh, and yeah, it was all thanks to one silly little viral video back last September. And so, yeah, I've managed to gain a pretty good, uh, good presence on TikTok. It's great. Awesome. Um, so before we get deep into your book, there's one question that I love fr from a historian that I love to ask historians, because I, I think our best works or maybe the ones that we're most passionate about always seem to kind of find us or the stories put themselves in front of you in some way. So I'm wondering what sparked your research specifically on Anne Bonny and Mary Reed? So what's interesting is the research actually came to me in a way. Now, um, in my research about pirates, of course, I had researched a bit about Anne Bonny and Mary Reed, but oddly enough for my doctorate, 
I wasn't really researching specific pirates individually. I was researching kind of like the concept of what their crimes meant and what public executions were. And I do remember reading their trial because those were trial reports were very, very important for my research and still very much are um, and to anyone if they study pirates, honestly. And their trial was just so fascinating because the reason why they, they these were two women who were pirates for only a couple of months and became one of the most notorious ones of the age. And not only that, they both managed to, uh, they were, even though they were both sentenced to hang in Jamaica, they both kind of got a reprieve on that because it turned out plot twist, they were pregnant. Um, and so I've always found their story really, really interesting, but I didn't really think about going deeper into research until I was actually approached by an online magazine who asked if I would be interested in writing a biography about them. And I was like, Sure, I know a bit about them. I think they're very interesting. Um, yeah. I would love to actually be able to do a much deeper dive into it, no pun intended. And so that's kind of how I got into it. I ended up just kind of falling in love with these two women. And I was like, this story is so fascinating. And part of the reason why it's so fascinating is because we actually know so little about them. There's such little information. So they're quite mysterious and they're fascinating figures that still really interest people so much today. Yeah. And I'm going to jump back to that kind of the, the little bit that we know about them and sources later. But I want to talk uh, or have you talk just briefly about the golden age of piracy. I think there's a lot of misconceptions that it's this like centuries long span where these mm-hmm. pirates are just kind of running wild. Um, but what are the years that we're talking about here, particularly as we're looking at the subjects of pirate queens? So the golden age of piracy has been defined as a time period from approximately 1650 until 1730. And the reason for this is because this was a time of a lot of political turmoil that was going on within the American colonies between Britain and France and Spain, as they're all trying to solidify themselves as kind of the top colonizers, basically, um, Uh becoming as wealthy as they can, thanks to their plantation islands and their North American colonies. And this is also a time period where all these countries are hiring privateers, which are basically people who have a government contract to attack specific enemy ships. And a lot of times when those contracts run out, these privateers decide to kind of continue on because they're paid in what they can steal. They get to keep about 80% of their loot. And so they decide to kind of keep doing this because it's very lucrative. Yeah. And so that's kind of why this particular time period is what we think about in terms of piracy. So we have three rounds in the golden age of piracy. So the first one is kind of what we call the buccaneering period between the 1650s up to the 1670s. This is where we have a lot of French pirates in the Caribbean who are targeting a lot of Spanish ships because Spain was attacking a lot of French ships at the time. These are the pirates that were operating out of Tortuga, if people have heard of that island in the Caribbean. And they were known as buccaneers because it comes from the French term buccanier, which has to do with the way of roasting meat. And these pirates were known to kind of live on land rather than on their ships to, and would roast a lot of meat. And so that's really where the name comes from. Yeah. Then we have um, the second round, which really refers to British piracy in the East Indies. And this is the 1690s, looking at pirates like Henry Avery and Captain Kidd. And then piracy goes on pause at the turn of the 18th century because of the outbreak of the War of Spanish Succession, which embroils all of Europe and loads of it takes place on the sea. So all these pirates are offered a pardon, meaning we won't arrest you for your crimes of piracy if you agree to fight for us as privateers. And so the 
This war goes on until about 1713. And then when the war ends, all these privateers are out of work. And this is when we see all these veterans of the war of Spanish succession start to really band together in these large fleets. And they're sailing in and out of Nassau in the Bahamas, um, which was actually founded as a pirate city by the privateer Benjamin Hornigold after he became a pirate. And this is where we see all the really famous names like Blackbeard, who had sailed with Hornigold during the War of Spanish Succession, uh, Charles Bain, Jack Rackham, Anne Bonny and Mary Reed all come from this time period, Black Sam Bellamy, uh, Bartholomew Roberts. Most of them had fought in the War of Spanish Succession or at least sailed with someone else who did. So they were much more tightly connected. And then by 1730, we see the outbreak of the War of Austrian Succession. And this is when a lot of pirates decide to work as privateers again, because all the major pirate leaders have been killed at this point. The Royal Navy has really stepped up and has kind of taken over the Bahamas a lot more efficiently, thanks to the governor Woods Rogers, or at least partly thanks to him. And it's just become, it's, it's too risky to be a pirate. It's not lucrative anymore. So after that, we don't see organized piracy ever again. We have pirates and yes, we had like fleets of pirates in other parts of the world, But in terms of these organized fleets where pirates are specifically pirating for themselves, this is really the only time period where we see that. And that's what's so unique about this. And I love kind of just the irony that it's something that this is really a problem that those European powers created for themselves by enabling all of these privateers and then just being like, okay, peace, like go find honest work now. Like that was ever going to happen. So they end up having to commit all of these resources to trying to button up the problem that they created. Yeah. And it's so funny because it's like on the one hand, yes, the like, yes, you're absolutely right. And that they're the ones kind of created this problem. But then at the same time, it's like they wanted the problem just to sort of go away. So what's so interesting is that the Royal Navy, they were supposed to go after pirates, but pirates were not their priority. They left it to the Admiralty Court, which was in charge of all things maritime since like the 13th or 14th century. But then they're actually putting everything in charge in the hands of local governors um, who get very little support by the Royal Navy and the Admiralty. A lot of governors are working for working with pirates, actually, but then are being under threat of being imprisoned themselves. So it's Britain's putting on this big show of trying to get rid of piracy. And, you know, they, they have cracked down on it massively, but they're really leaving it up to Admiralty officials and governors in um, all the different places rather than having the Royal Navy really step up. Yeah. Uh, shifting gears a little bit. So I want to talk about the the pirate aesthetic and the pirate appearance. And so from artists like Howard Pyle or William Hogarth to like Pirates of the Caribbean franchise, we have this style of these very overdressed, flamboyant pirates with heavy coats and, and the whole getup. Uh, how does that compare to what people likely would have worn when they were actually on these ships in, you know, in the West Indies at the time? It would, it's an interesting comparison because a lot of those artistic interpretations, including from the Pirates Caribbean franchise, do stem from truth. Like they do have their origins in what people actually wore. But it's that's really if you're looking at like higher ranking pirates and pirate captains, because just like on any other maritime ship, you know, the pirate captain is going to be setting himself apart by dressing as well as he can with a long coat. Um, But pirates in particular would often like to show off items that they could steal. So if they were able to find jewelry or really nice textiles, textiles have always been one of the number one items of commodity that people would trade since the beginning of human history, basically. Mm -hmm. So they were always trying to take like as many um, of these expensive textiles 
textiles as they could um, and either make clothes out of them or hopefully clothes are already fashioned out of them and they'd wear them to kind of show that off. So we do see a lot of that flamboyant dress, such as with Jack Rackham. Uh, he was known as Calico Jack because he loved dressing up as much as he could in the nicest clothes he could possibly find. Now, the vast majority, though, of pirates were dressed mostly the way a lot of other sailors would be dressed, um, just standard day to day, you know, linen, baggy linen shirts, trousers, some sort of belt to kind of hold their tools and materials. They would probably wear a hat or um, a bandana to shield themselves from the sun. Um, it's really only when they're in battle that they're going to be dressed up a little bit more. And that's mostly so that way they could hold on to weapons in a much more efficient fashion. Yeah. So that's where they'll wear the jackets with the pockets and have bigger belts and that sort of thing. And that's when people would see pirates was in battle. So we think, oh, they dress very different. No, it's just for the context of battle, really. Yeah. Gotcha. And so before we like really dig deep into the subjects of your book, there's one other kind of background context thing I wanted to ask you about. And that I think is that um, researching kind of traditionally marginalized or certainly in like historical record um, groups can be tricky because of a lack of sources. But I think historical works like Pirate Queens, they really allow us to draw greater conclusions and understandings about like in your case, women in maritime history and in, in this era of maritime history. So I'm wondering if you can just tell us kind of what types of sources did you rely on for this book? Generalized. Yeah, because you're right, like with pirates, it was it it is a big challenge to find source material because uh, they didn't keep records or if they if they did then those records were destroyed or we just or were just lost for various reasons so and it is very much a challenge similar to researching all kinds of marginalized groups so the sources i would have to use were trial transcripts like i mentioned earlier because those are going to carry the most detail about what went on on a pirate ship because of witnesses and depositions and testimonies so that was probably those were my favorite sources to use the next source I really, really dug into were the Calendar of State Paper cl uh, Colonial Series, which you can access for free online, British History on um, British History Online, and they were basically records of like virtually every single letter that was written between the plantation colony officials and those back in England. And I'm referring specifically to the Colonial Series. Um, and there's loads of mentions of pirates causing trouble um, with different uh, various different plantation islands um, or pirate activities. There are some pirates mentioned by name, such as Edward Teach, commonly known as Blackbeard, Captain William Kidd in the East Indies in the 1690s. Jack Rackham does show up. So does Charles Vane. So it's, that's where we do find a lot of really interesting information. Newspaper articles, also massively great source. That's debated sometimes amongst some historians um, yeah. used to be the idea was that newspapers weren't a good source, but I think people are starting to see their value as a source mm -hmm. because not only do they give loads of information about pirates, but you can also see how they were already being portrayed in the media yep. to readers. So that's a really good source. Also um, the ordinary of Newgate, who was the spiritual advisor of prisons in England, they would often take confessions and give counsel to pirates and they would write everything down and sell it. So, wow. um, and this was really good for me because I researched public executions, um, admiralty court papers. Those are basically papers written by all members of the admiralty, keeping really meticulous records, naval records, maps have lots of details as well. So 
and any observations I could find, a lot of those are just kind of isolated random sources, um, random petitions here and there, general state papers. So I can go on and on, but basically you're with piracy, you're looking around all around the periphery um, surrounding pirates to find as much information as you can. I'm really excited and happy about how much of these sources are available online and digitized now because you wrote this during a pandemic where you couldn't just bop into archives and do your work there. And so did you find that there was a lot of, I mean, obviously you must have found there's a lot of stuff available virtually at this point, or did you rely on a network of people to share information or? Well, what was really great is that during the pandemic, so many institutions opened up a lot of their databases for, for free yeah. um, because you know, everyone was in the position where we just couldn't get anywhere to actually go and research. And yes, I did write this entire book during a pandemic. So there are a lot of really good online resources. So the calendar state paper is completely available on British history online. So that's really amazing. There's been a huge project online. I can't remember what it's called. You might know the name where people have been transcribing the high court of admiralty records, the H the HCA records, um, another massive source material that I used. Um, so I would, I would look there when I could. Um, and then there are also, there are websites that do have a lot of primary sources related to pirates. So that's Bayless Brooks, which I looked at the pirate surgeons journal was, is an amazing resource. Um, and then, um, I had also, saved every single piece of research I had ever done during my PhD, even stuff that maybe I took a photo of and never looked at it again. Um, I saved everything. Uh, it's all digitized uh, on my computer. So that was quite helpful, but you know, um, I was able to get a lot of online resources, but the reality is I did have to use a lot of my own resources in order to get my resources by, I had to buy a lot of books, basically, um, yep. through my college, I do have access to, um, certain databases like JSTOR and some newspaper stuff, um, which is helpful. Um, but I did have to also rely on my own resources as well. Yeah. I think a lot of people don't understand the investment that it takes as a historian, uh, at least in, in our area of academia in just purchasing books. Um, it is <laughs> overwhelming at times. So, yeah. Um, All right. So now let's get into the actual subjects of your book. And so I'm wondering if you can start with Anne Bonny and talk about uh, who she was before she became a pirate. What what was her life like up until we take that next big step into to piracy? So Anne Bonny, we know, is from Cork uh, in Western Ireland, from Kinsale specifically. And she was born in approximately 1697, we believe, according to Irish family heritage records to a man named William Cormick. And when she was a child, uh, at some point, probably around the age of 10 years old, she and her father had come over to the Americas um, to live in the Carolinas, where he was initially a lawyer, but then became a plantation um, owner and worked with merchants. And so the story goes, because there isn't a humongous amount of information about her as a child. Um, a lot of the information we get comes from a general history of the pirates, which is a collection of pirate biographies published in 1724 by Captain Charles Johnson. Much, much of it is fictionalized, especially in Bonnie Mary Reed's story. So according to him, 
And Bonnie grew up in Ireland with a single father because her mother had passed away. And so she spent her childhood kind of living on the plantation, um, working in some women's homes to get kind of a female education. But she was known for not taking to it very well. She was quite rebellious. And then as she got older, she would kind of go down to the docks where lots of sailors came in, you know, in Charleston, which was the major port of the American uh, North American colonies, Mm -hmm. uh, getting to know lots of uh, sailors and possibly even pirates. So she grew up uh, in, so she's from Ireland, but she grew up in the South and she was exposed to the maritime community there. Gotcha. Uh, And so let's contrast that with uh, Mary Reed and same, same question for Mary Reed. Who was she before, uh, before a pirate? Now, Mary Reed is interesting because we have even less information about her. Um, whereas Anne Bonny, we do have an actual birth record um, mm-hmm. on the Irish family um, history registry. Mary Reed, though, there actually is no real birth record of her. So we don't know her origins at all. We only have Captain Charles Johnson's story to go by. And hers is really interesting. So Mary's mother was from London and she was married to a sailor and they had an infant son. But while her husband was away, he passed away at sea, leaving her pretty destitute. And during that time, she ends up having an affair with another sailor and winds up pregnant. And then that sailor had left her though at that point. And in the meantime, her infant son dies. And this is going to be quite the tragedy because she's getting income from her in-laws because of having had a son. And if she doesn't have that son, she's going to lose that support. So what she decides to do is disguise Mary Reed as a boy. Um, so she can continue to get this allowance basically. So Mary Reed is raised as a boy until she's about 13 years old. Um, the story goes, she has no idea. And the only reason why her mother reveals it is because the in-laws have passed away and now they're going to need the income of Mary working as a domestic servant, which was pretty much the only opportunity for a working class girl. So her gender is revealed to her. Um, Mary Reed kind of rebels against this. And then she runs away and joins the Royal Navy um, disguised as a boy. And then as she gets older, she's going to go down to the European continent to uh, Flanders and she's going to fight in the army as a boy until or as a man. And then she falls in love with a fellow soldier, reveals herself. They end up married, um, but he passes away. So she she takes back her male identity and rejoins the army. She's discharged, though, because of poor performance, likely because she's uh, full of grief. So this time she decides to disguise herself as a sailor and sails on a merchant ship that's bound for the Americas. And supposedly the merchant ship gets attacked by pirates and they bring her on. And since she speaks English, they decide to keep her on as a pirate. She decides decides to join the ship. And that's how she winds up into the Caribbean. And she's going to meet Anne Bonny in Nassau in the Bahamas sometime in 1720. And this is where we finally get to the factual information. And and this story is wild because it's like, you know, you have to go off of a source, you know, for, for that background, but the story of that and what it would be like mentally to experience that and what, you know, psychologically, what she would have gone through from her mom bouncing back from this very like kind of rigid gender role from male to female and back. And it's, um, serving you know in the military and all of these things it's i would think that it would be really difficult to maintain some some level-headedness when that that's been your life so so i was reading that and just really like kind of blown away at like what a brutal story that is in a lot of ways and trying to find a place of uh belonging in there must have been insanely difficult in that period of time yeah it was especially because 
you know, women had so few resources um, and socially life was so different for them, you know, for Mary Reed, pretty much her only option would be to enter domestic servitude until she gets married, ideally, or that could be her lifelong profession. And, you know, when you go from having all the privileges of a boy where, you know, you can, as a child, run around, you do learn responsibilities, but, you know, your life's going to be very different. You're going to be listened to for one thing, and you are just allowed to kind of behave differently, whereas girls are always trained from childhood to learn how to be domestic servants or mothers and very constrained. And suddenly she's having all this freedom taken away. And what's interesting is Anne Bonnie, similarly, I forgot to mention earlier, also spent time in her childhood disguised as a boy um, because she was born out of an affair um, with her father's maid. And so a way to kind of prevent scandal was by sort of having her disguised and sort of him passing her off as his nephew. But then once they decided to go to the Americas, you know, the disguise is cast off. But it's very possible that Anne Bonnie may have actually known about this and yeah. kind of had to go along with it. She was a little older when that disguise started happening. Yeah. And it just it's so you know, in opposition to the, the standard narrative you get of women in early modern Europe and the Americas, um, which I think is, you know, a huge part of what makes these stories so compelling. So now we get to, we've got Anne Bonnie and Mary Reed, and they are going to meet. And so let's talk about that and how they uh, kind of, let's talk about how they shift into piracy. Sure. So the way Anne Bonnie shifts in the piracy is that she marries a sailor named James Bonney. And when she's probably about 16 years old, and she's going to sail with him for several years until they wind up in the Caribbean, he kind of dabbles in and out of piracy. And she is allowed to sail with him. She loves this lifestyle because it's kind of a place where she can actually have something to do. Mm-hmm. And, you know, you have to pull your own weight if you're going to be on a ship. So she was able to kind of prove her merit. Now, it was very unusual for a woman to sail on a ship as a sailor. Um, It did happen sometimes, but usually captains or high ranking officials sometimes could would bring their wives. Now, we don't know what James Bonney's office was on the ship. I don't know if he was a high ranking person or not, but either way, somehow Anne was able to sail with him. There is another possibility that Anne sailed with um, a woman as a passenger down to the Bahamas um, and the woman kind of poses her mother. So there's kind of two conflicting sources about this, mm-hmm. um, but that's how she's going to wind up in NASA on the Bahamas, probably around 1719. And that's where Anne Bonnie meets Jack Rackham. Anne Bonnie is known to kind of befriend a lot of pirates. She and James Bonnie have separated at this point because he decides to become a pirate hunter and she hates that. So they're, yeah. they're separated. She meets Jack Rackham and they fall in love. And Jack Rackham actually tries, they try to petition James Bonney for a divorce. And Jack Rackham even offers to purchase Anne. Wife selling was actually pretty common in the Caribbean due to a very uneven ratio of men to women. Yep. Um, and that doesn't work. That's when they steal away. Now, in terms of how we, they meet Mary Reed, we actually do not know. Captain Charles Johnson says that Mary Reed continued her male disguise on the ship. But when Jack Rackham stole the ship, the William and with his new crew and Anne Bonney and set off in August of 1721, after that governor Woods Rogers of the Bahamas issued a proclamation for their arrest, which did specifically list the two female pirates Anne Bonney and Mary Reed, which means her gender was known. Yeah. She was known as a woman when she joined the ship. We just don't know how they met. And that's what's such an interesting story. Yeah. And it's, I think that the whole, 
the fascination of of Anne Bonnie getting set up with Calico Jack and how the betrayal of her husband becoming a pirate hunter from from being a pirate, which I know wasn't unheard of by any stretch. You mm-hmm. kind of chased the money then if you were, mm-hmm. you know, if you operated a ship. But but I do love how there's this, you know, she doesn't want to be a part of that and runs off with Calico Jack, who then is trying this very like legal like purchase and I think the the whole thing is so intertwined with legality and also not and having these contrasts are again makes for such a compelling story i think mm-hmm. um, so so now we have uh mary reed and Anne bonnie are pirates they're working together and what were they like in terms uh, of being pirates? I know there's a pretty broad spectrum of how people behaved and how they interacted. Um, but what were they like in terms of tactics, in terms of, of violence? How did they build and maintain a reputation, which could be particularly difficult as women? Um, how did they establish themselves as pirates? So what's really interesting about Anne Bonnie and Mary Reed is that in the spectrum in terms of kind of cruelty and the level of fighting they did, they were definitely more on the extreme side of that spectrum in terms of cruelty and ruthlessness. Mm-hmm. Um, and they became really notorious because of it. And what they would do is they kind of use an intimidation tactic where they would have their shirts open, exposing their breasts to their victims who suddenly would realize, oh my God, these are women because they're dressed as men otherwise. Yeah. So, and in the chaos of battle, you might not even notice them right away, but if they have their shirts open, you're going to notice that. And so the idea is to kind of frighten people into submission very quickly. That's what pirates in general were always trying to do, because then you just get in, steal the goods, get out as fast as you can. But Anne, Bonnie, and Mary Reed, according to eyewitnesses, those who survived attacks said that they swore and cursed more than any of the men. They fought harder. They, um, you know, way less merciful than the men. Jack Rackham, was actually kind of a merciful pirate captain in some ways. Um, he took hostages rather than killing people. He um, captured a woman named Dorothy Thomas, who was sailing in a canoe off the coast of Jamaica. And he decided to let her go. Whereas Anne, Anne Bonnie and Mary Reed both said, and this is according to Dorothy Thomas testimony in their trial, that Anne Bonnie and Mary Reed wanted him to kill, wanted him to kill her saying that if they let, if they let her go, Dorothy Thomas could speak against them. And sure enough, they were correct. But, you know, Anne, yeah. Bonnie, and Mary Reed were, would encourage Jack Rackham, you know, no, we have to kill the victims. Whereas he's like, no, we can let them go. So they were a lot more ruthless and they probably had to be. One, you know, t- the, the classic fact of the matter is women have always generally, we have to work twice as hard to get yeah. recognition. But I think also it's very possible that, the level of fighting that they did might not have been as intense as we think, because as women, just the fact they are fighting would be so shocking. It would be really built up Yeah. because when they weren't fighting, they were actually, according to, again, the prisoners, they didn't wear men's clothing when they weren't fighting. They kind of resumed typical female duties outside battle. So mm-hmm. um, it's very possible that their fighting styles were quite exaggerated kind of for the sake of just sheer shock that women would participate, but they Which- did want, prisoners killed unless yeah. Jack Rackham. And, and it's funny because when you you said that and I was reading that part of your book and I remember like I'm laying in bed and I'm out saying out loud, this woman's going to come back to haunt you. Like she's going to get you. And, you know, 
of course, because it's easier to say on paper, I'm like, you've got to kill her. Like, you can't let her go. And um, so sure enough, uh, they do let her go. Uh, Rackham does. So I think one of the most compelling kind of narrative parts of your book is when you talk about the story of Jonathan Barnett's capture of Rackham and, and Bonnie and Reed. And I think that that just is like, it's so gripping as you go through it. So can you uh, talk about how this comes about and how they are ultimately captured? Yes. So Woods Rogers had issued a proclamation for the capture of Anne Bonnie and Mary Reed. And Jonathan Barnett had kind of received a commission to go after them. And then when he was in Jamaica, he'd run into another pirate hunter named John Bondevay, who had actually gotten his own commission commission from the governor of Jamaica to go after Jack Rackham as well, because Jack Rackham was terrorizing the coast around Jamaica. And so Mm -hmm. the two of them decided to team up. And through kind of talking to survivors of their attacks and also other eyewitnesses, they were able to narrow down Jack Rackham's location to around an area called Negril's Point. And part of the reason they were able to do this so easily is because Jack Rackham had not been pirating very long in this area, just two months from August to October of 1720. So there was only so many places he could have gone in that time. So uh, Jonathan Barnett and John Bondevay, what they do is they manage to kind of sneak up on Jack Rackham where they've kind of parked their ship, docked their ship um, in kind of hidden away in the marshes where they were celebrating a recent capture and drinking loads of wine that they had stolen. And so after dark is when Barnett decided to approach them. And it kind of starts off with Jack Rackham sort of being, you know, all gung ho, I'll fight you back um, when they're hailed by Captain Barnett, who says, you know, surrender and we'll give quarter, um, which means we'll be merciful. And yep. Jack Rackham says, we'll give no quarter, we'll take no quarter. Um, and he refuses to back down. And Jonathan Barnett fires onto the ship. Jack Rackham fires back. And then Captain Barnett's men board Rackham's ship. And then suddenly, instead of fighting back, Rackham orders everyone to hide below because they're too inebriated to be able to fight back. And Bonnie and Mary Reed are shouting at the men to stay on the deck. Um, to fight back, but they follow Rackham's orders instead, leaving just the two women to fight off Barnett and John Bondevay's sailors um, and their whole crew. So of course they're captured quite quickly, but Jonathan Barnett would later say that he was actually quite impressed um, Mm -hmm. with how well that they fought. Um, But this is how they were ultimately captured because Jack Rackham ordered everyone below deck, leaving the ship to be defended by just these two women who fought as hard as they could, but the battle was over before it began. Yeah. And it's such a great visual, though, and a sad visual in a way. And I mean, and it's tough because it's weird how pirates like we, they're so romanticized and so sympathetic, but in a way, I mean, they're just hardened criminals killing and torturing. I mean, they're doing pretty awful stuff, but that vision of the two of them like fighting side by side on the deck of the ship while all the men are down below. And and I picture them when I was reading it, I kind of get like chuckled because I'm picturing it like the person that thinks they hear a noise in their house and they just pull the blanket over their head. Mm-hmm. Like that's going to protect them and keep them safe. And I feel like <laughs> they did the, the shipboard equivalent of pulling the blanket over your head by just going below like what was that going to solve? What, you know, but I guess they were just completely drunk. But I, but I do love that visual of Mary and Anne on the deck of the boat fighting and not, you know, wanting to give up. But they do, and they're captured. Uh, so what happens from the point that they're captured? So when they're captured, they're taken to Jamaica to go to St. Saint, Iago Saint de la Vega, which is modern day Spanish town. And that's where the government offices were. It's um, just a bit outside of Kingston, Jamaica, which is the capital. Mm-hmm. Wasn't the capital quite yet then, but it is today. 
Um, and so they're put on trial. And this is November of 1720. They've all been in, put into prison. And first, Jack Rackham and all of his crew are all tried together. And they give their testimony, you know, their, uh, the hostages they had let go, such as Thomas Spenlow and Dorothy Thomas, uh, spoke, uh, spoke at the trial, spoke out against them. And then Jack Rackham and his crew are all pronounced guilty of piracy. And according to law generally in, in Jamaica, if someone was going to be executed, it had to be done within 28 days. But if you were a pirate, it had to be done within 10 days. So he was going to mm. be executed quite quickly. And reportedly on the morning of his death, he wanted to see Anne Bonny. Um, and all she said to him is, I'm sorry to see you like this, but had you fought like a man, you need not hang like a dog. Ouch. And he was executed that day. The actual date, the actual date in November is um, slipping by me, um, like around November 18th ish. Mm-hmm. And he, he was hung uh, at Gallows Point, which later became known as Rackham's Key. Just a couple of days later, Anne, Bonnie, and Mary Reed go up onto the stand and they're tried separately on purpose because women, their trials were done a little bit differently. They're also, it's kind of a very similar trial to Jack Rackham's. Um, honestly, not that much different. Um, the same people testify against them. The same defenses are, off, are um, offered and they're both pronounced guilty and they are both pronounced an execution. But when they're asked if they have anything left to say, they both reveal that they're pregnant. And they're both, um, and sure enough, it shows um, they do an examination. It turns out the women, yes, indeed, are pregnant. Now, back in the 18th century, pregnancy was confirmed when you felt the baby quicken, meaning you felt the baby move. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's probably at around four to five months of yep. pre- um, into their pregnancy, which meant they were fighting as while pregnant, which meant they were pregnant before they even got onto the ship. Yeah. So because they were found pregnant, they were offered a stay of execution, meaning they won't get executed until after the babies are born. Now, what's interesting is that most of the time, if women were sentenced to be executed, nine, nine times out of 10, the women will actually end up not getting executed. Mm-hmm. Uh, but unfortunately, Mary Reed is going to die in prison of what they call jail fever, which um, is likely typhus. This is in April of 1721. She also may have died in complications of childbirth. And Bonnie, we actually don't know what happened to her. There's no record. There's no death record. It has been long believed that it's very likely that she somehow is able, that she was probably just released because again, nine out of 10 times women weren't ex- actually executed yep. and that she went back home to the Carolinas and lived to 1782. But recently there was a YouTuber and in, I think it was in late, like November, 2020, who came across records, death records from St. Catherine's parish, which was where they were located within Jamaica. And, and Bonnie's name showed up on a death record in uh, 1731. So it's possible or 1732. So it's possible that she lived out about a dozen years on her own in Jamaica in some capacity. Yeah. So their whole careers and you can just uh i think you mentioned it before but their careers as pirates roughly encompassed how much time just two months two months which is so wild that they are so remembered and immediately called up with the names of the other great pirates of the age of sail just with with two months but i wanted to ask you so despite their relationships with men and obviously both being pregnant at the time of of their arrests there's definitely people who have written or made arguments that the two were lovers now. And I'm wondering what you make of this, whether this is just kind of typical male writing, sexualizing two females together, or do you feel like there's evidence towards that? Or what's your take on that? 
This is such a hard question to answer because the only people who can ever really know are Anne, Bonnie, and Mary Reed. Yeah. Now, um, now, what we do know is that kind of the idea where they may have had a relationship, it really starts in the book of general history of the pirates by captain Charles Johnson. Remember I said earlier, his biographies, a lot of them were quite fictionalized, especially theirs. And according to him, because Mary Reed still had herself disguised as a man on the ship and Bonnie took a liking to her and tried to seduce her only to discover that Mary Reed was in fact a woman and that Anne was quote, very disappointed. Mm-hmm. Um, and Jack Rackham in the meantime had become very jealous, um, not realizing that Mary Reed was actually a woman. And when he discovered that he was okay with it. Now, the idea that the two of them may have actually been lovers actually didn't really come about until the 20th century mm-hmm. when some, um, feminist writers can kind of look back on their story. Cause their story had always been very popular. The book of general history of the pirates specifically called out their names in the title on the title page. It's never gone out of print. Mm-hmm. And Daniel Defoe wrote, um, he wrote the book Polly, which was about a woman on a pirate ship. That was also very popular. Mal Flanders, a similar story about a woman on a pirate ship. Again, very, very popular. So um, the idea of female pirates was already quite intriguing. And this was going to definitely continue into the 20th century. Now, it is very possible that they have been very sexualized, um, particularly from the masculine point of view. Um, Charles Johnson reportedly did say that you know the book was written intended to be like a novel but and reviews said the book was written with the air of a novel and so he wanted to kind of sensationalize it but also make them kind of look like you know deviant women as well yeah and what would become known as deviant behavior much later same-sex relationships homosexuality but at the same time sorry i'm rambling so much tell me to stop if you want me to no not at all part of the 18th century the idea of homosexuality wasn't actually concept it was mm-hmm. just a legal definition known as sodomy or buggery only um referencing men um the idea of, of a same-sex relationship between two women was unheard of because basically if two women have sex together you know just anatomically speaking there's no penis involved and therefore it can't possibly be sex that was the idea of the 18th century so whether or not i think that the two of them might have been lovers i just, i honestly couldn't say and bonnie was married the two of them were pregnant of course we don't know the circumstances into how they got pregnant mm-hmm. um an lgbt historian named richter morton put it perfectly um and i tend to kind of subscribe to what he says it's unlikely that the two of them were um lesbian lovers it's possible maybe they could have been bisexual at most if there was a bit of a, if there was a close attraction. Yeah. So in your book, you argue that uh, Anne Bonnie and Mary Reed were the most exceptional pirates to come out of the golden age of piracy. Um, So let's talk a little bit, what was their legacy and how did they impact piracy and kind of piracy in the, the public public consciousness? So they really kind of upended uh, any expectation or any idea people had of pirates because piracy was a masculine world. Um, mm. Pirates were generally always known to be men. The, the way that they would fight, the way that they would live, um, you know, not going to church, swearing, cursing, blaspheming, fighting and killing, everything like that. Um, you know, they're also very ungodly, considered to be uncivilized in many different ways. So basically, the idea of a woman being on a pirate ship is the complete antithesis to 
anyone's belief on anything. So the fact that not only were they able to sail on pirate ships, but they openly were as women sailing on a pirate ship was virtually unheard of. And so this kind of fascinated, but horrified people at the exact same time. Um, And people were kind of especially afraid that this, um, that if women knew about them, that it could kind of corrupt women in a way of trying to be like the two of them. And this is one of the reasons why kind of the way they were written in general history of the pirates wasn't, was meant to sensationalize them in a negative way to kind of show like, you know, this is the bad stuff that happens. Um, And, but a lot of people really fascinated by them because what they did is they transcended the social uh, rules of the 18th century for women. Women were expected to be domestic servants and, or get married. And no matter what, they are confined to the home. They have very little opportunities. Whereas Anne Bonny and Mary Reed, they go against that. Um, yes, Anne Bonny is married, but she is sailing as a pirate. They're working on ships. Um, they're doing everything that women were generally not supposed to do via the social contract. Um, and they're also kind of really breaking down barriers and that they're doing this in a very mass, traditionally masculine world. Most pirates would not allow women on ships. Blackbeard banned women, Bartholomew Roberts banned women, Edward Lowe banned women. The idea being that they would, that they mentally and physically couldn't handle the rigors of life on a ship and that they would also be kind of the source of problems amongst the men. So in a way, they're also kind of defying that whole notion as well. Now, Anne Bonnie and Mary Reed, they didn't intend to do this. Their goal wasn't really to go in and upend these social expectations, but this is what has become tied with them, yeah. that they were able to break past those barriers. And it's connected to kind of that and the previous uh, question that we talked about. I'm wondering when you started writing this or researching this and it started to kind of you know, take shape. Did you anticipate exploring concepts of gender and sexuality and masculinity in the context of Reed and Bonnie? Or did that just kind of start to emerge as you did the work and, and it took you in that direction? It began emerging as I went into the work because initially when I started the book, it was a huge challenge because there were basically only two solid sources I had to work with to reconstruct mm-hmm. their story. A general history of the pirates, and the published trial. And, you know, by the time you basically summarize it and create a narrative, you have maybe the size of a long chapter or an article um, within a book. And so I kind of had this challenge, like, okay, how can I really build out and flesh flesh out their stories? And I was talking about it with a friend of mine who I used to kind of, we bounce ideas off each other. We did our doctorates together. And he was like, well, you take a look at some of like the background information or some of the context of what was going on in their life. Like what, you know, what things would have been like for women. And that kind of really helped me break through that barrier. And it was from there that I I began really kind of exploring, okay, a general history of the pirate says that Anne Bonnie's mother was a servant caught in an affair. Okay. So what's the context of what were domestic, what was life like for domestic servants, female domestic servants in the 17th and 18th centuries? What were those laws surrounding um, adultery and affairs, et cetera, et cetera. So um, I kind of entered into a whole new field of history, looking at the domestic sphere. And then, yes, there's all these ideas of Anne Bonnie and Mary Reed possibly being lesbian lovers. So I began looking really hard into LGBT history, um, which is quite a neglected piece of history. There's a lot of LGBT erasure in history. And part of the reason is just because, A, the concept didn't exist until the 19th century, the way we think of it. 
yep. and also just documentation. But that also yeah. took me into a whole other fields. And so it kind of g- kept growing as I was researching, kind of realizing, oh, this is a field I need to look into. So is this. So as a historian, I grew massively as a historian because I was really starting to dive into, no pun intended again, to a whole bunch of new fields within my field, subfields that I'd only kind of touched a little bit before. Now I was really able to, to go into. Um, and I love that. And I think that that's where in a kind of a similar project for me, that was like, I felt like my greatest, my greatest leveling up as a historian was, was something like that, where it starts as this kind of micro history or biography, and then just the web gets bigger and bigger. And then you get to that problem too, where you have to start cutting things out and figuring out, okay, how can I get this into a manageable size. Okay. So totally shifting here. I would like to do a bit of a lightning round where (laughs) I'm going to fire off some piratey things from culture, from film or books or movies, and maybe you can rate them for accuracy or rate them for just entertainment or both, however you feel on it. Um, and I have not given you this list ahead of time. So there might be things here that you don't know or have not witnessed or read or seen. So we'll move on from that. I'll just shake my head disapprovingly. Um, so let's start with one that's had the recent buzz is our flag means death. (laughs) That's one of my, I love, that's a show I enjoy roasting quite Mm -hmm. a bit. Um, entertainment value, I would say definitely like, I would say maybe like an eight. Um, it's funny. It's clever. Uh, it didn't hold my attention as much as I know it held some of my friends' attention, but I did find it quite funny and clever in terms of accuracy. Yeah. I would give it like a one. And the only reason I'm giving it a one is because they actually do depict kind of the social life of pirates on the ship pretty well. Mm -hmm. Everything else is total fiction about, you know, Steve Bonnet and Blackbeard, all fiction otherwise. All right. Uh, Charles Johnson's A General History of Pirates. Uh, so <laughs> I know this is a complicated <laughs> one, and you talk about it is, that in it your is. book. It's actually a very complicated source, even uh, amongst pirates. So in terms of accuracy, oh, man, I'm going to give it a five, because okay. there are a lot of biographies that are pretty factual, but it really depends on the pirate's it really depends on how much information already existed about certain pirates, such as the chapter about Captain Kidd, pretty factual, for yeah. instance, but a lot of them are pretty fictional. Entertainment purposes, um, I would give it like, uh, I would, in terms of entertainment purposes, I, w- I would give it like a, a pretty high ranking, like an eight or a nine, just because it is where so many fun ideas about pirates were born. Um, yeah. in, that would inspire later writers as a source, as a, legitimate source, another category I'm throwing in there for historians, I yeah. would put it as a five because you have to take it as a grain of salt. Gotcha. So here's a deep one that it turns out as I've talked to people, like four people have seen the show, uh, no offense to NBC, the show Crossbones. Loved that show. Okay. John Malkovich, <laughs> Blackbeard, it. a pre the crown, Claire Foy. Uh, yeah. So let's hear it. So, okay. Now I've only, I only saw it once and that was the summer aired, which I want to say was 2014. So that Mm -hmm. show is based on Colin Woodard's book, um, uh, the Republic of pirates. And Mm. I believe the concept is that Blackbeard himself never actually died, but went into hiding. I believe that. Okay. Thank you for reminding me. John Malkovich, I think as well played. Okay. Thanks. Uh, it turns accuracy. Um, 
again, I don't remember it very well, but just based on that fact, I, you know, again, probably maybe like a one or a two, because I think they kind of depicted life in the Caribbean and sort of amongst pirates pretty decently. In terms of entertainment factor, I gave that one a 10. I loved that show. I thought it was clever. I thought it was fun. I liked the dialogue. I thought it was snappy. Um, you can tell John Malkovich was loving every second of his life playing Blackbeard. It's almost, it's almost camp the way yeah. he does it. Entertainment value, definitely a 10. Accuracy, I don't know. I'll give it a, I'll give it like a two. And that's because, no, I'll give it a three. And that's because Colin Woodard, I believe, was a consultant on the show. So. Mm-hmm. And it's, I just love, I remember watching it on YouTube like a year or two ago and just all of the comments of people being so angry that you had Blackbeard and it's just Malkovich with his little gray goatee and that's it. And people mm-hmm. are like enraged that he doesn't have the Blackbeard. Um, but yeah, that's, a, again, that's kind of a deep one that I think a lot of people have missed out on, but really I thought was entertaining as well. So uh, next, uh, the classic Muppet Treasure Island entertainment i give a hundred i love that so much you got tim curry's long john silver how could anything be better than that it's one of my favorite films like as a kid um you know in terms of accuracy you know no it's another one or two (laughs) kind of looking at pirate life they're looking for buried treasure and there is no such thing as buried treasure sorry guys yeah Um, i want to refer people to your tiktok again for that the brief conversation about the the myth of buried treasure i talk Um, about it quite a lot on there um, yeah, but from, that's a whole other subject. Yeah, um, r- really gripping performance by Gonzo in it. And oh, uh, yes, it's funny. Yep. My brother sailed on this ship, HMS Rose, and they were doing a promo from up at Treasure Island on it. And I think of like his, you know, he's in, in Europe and the Caribbean, he's traveled all over the world on the ship. And I really do think that his best moment was the day they did the promo when they had all the Muppets on the ship and everything. Well, so, that but was yeah, my too. A- entertainment value 100. Uh, let's lump together any Pirates of the Caribbean movie. So, um, okay, I've seen them all because it is my duty as a pirate historian. Mm-hmm. Um, two, um, let's see. For Before I talk about the first one, I'll just quickly uh, about the others. I would give the, God. Yeah, the others are just not that accurate. Um, yeah. I, the, the, I will give the others... Uh, two through five I think I would I would give them like a two and the reason why I'm giving it a two no you know I'm gonna bump that up actually to like a three um and I'm being kind of generous but that's because they employ so much maritime mythology into the story that they get correct um and so that's why I give it that now the first one I genuinely love that film and Mm -hmm. that one in terms of accuracy I give a five and here's why Um, I'm being generous again, but I give it a five. And this is because of all the maritime mythology that they put into it. But they're also talking about kind of the role of the Royal Navy taking over Port Royal, which had been a pirate stronghold. And they discussed that in the film as it had been a pirate stronghold. The film opens up and you see the remains of pirates um, on scaffolds with warning signs, you know, here be pirates. People, um, they did do that. Um, keep pirates' bodies strung up for a long period of time to warn off um, other pirates. Um, They talk about a pirate code in the film. Now, the code that they talk about is very fictional, but pirates actually did have a code um, Mm -hmm. uh, known as the Articles of Rules on the Ship. Um, And so I think they get a lot about kind of pirate life, um, correct, especially with the diverse makeup of a pirate ship. 
Yeah. You see that there are people from all kinds of nationalities on the ship. Jack Sparrow has a female pirate played by young Zoe Saldana um, on it. And, you know, showing that there probably were a lot more women on pirate ships than we just don't that we just don't know about. So yeah. um, but otherwise, the film, it's a fantasy film, you know, going yeah. after going after Aztec gold that pirates didn't really go specifically after gold very much. It was very rare to find gold like that. It was about a curse that was made up by the film based on a ride, you know, so that's why I give it the five. But otherwise, though, I actually do really like what they did with that film. It's a bit of a shame, honestly, that the others just weren't nearly as good. Yeah. And they did it from a, a tall ship perspective. I think they they paid attention to the ships pretty well, used some of our, our member vessels from our tall ships mm. fleet and Amazing. really, you know, had good consulting in terms of what was done and wasn't done on a ship. Obviously, it got a little, you know, there's it's a fantasy film. But, but I did appreciate mm -hmm. that. Black Sails. That's a show I really, really enjoy for entertainment. Mm. Um, for entertainment, I give it like an eight. And that's just because I, I do find the pacing of the show to be, um, is a little on the slow side sometimes. Mm -hmm. um, although, but it is brilliant the way they kind of build up the characters. There's great character development. They're all very compelling. This is, I'm, I'm going to give this one the highest score in terms of, an, of, an, of accuracy. I give it somewhere between like a six and a seven. And the reason why it's so high is because I think they depict kind of the complexities behind piracy so well, both on land and sea, especially on land, as they're kind of talking about how the, the strengthening of the Royal Navy, and then kind of they're looking at like their financial backers because pirates had financial backers yeah. um, and what's going to happen with that. You um, kind of show show that women did play more of a role in the Caribbean than we realize. you know, Eleanor Guthrie, who runs her father's tavern and everything like that. Um, we do see real pirates um, as characters. We see Charles Vane, Jack Rackham and Anne Bonnie, who are main characters. Now the time period's wrong for them. The show takes place in 1715, um, yes. which is the year there was a massive Spanish treasure fleet wreck um, off the coast of Florida. So that's kind of the big plot that drives the show. But I think that they're, and also Anne Bonnie wasn't with Charles Vane. Jack Rackham did sail with Charles Vane, but not Anne Bonnie. But I think they all kind of nailed the characters, the, the, the historical figures quite well. Yeah. Um, yeah especially I think, Toby. Especially I, I was, Toby Schmitz, who plays sorry. Jack Rackham. Yeah. And I was pleasantly surprised by that. And I think I bounced off to that of like maybe watching Outlander and being forced to watch the trailer before it or something. I love Outlander. <laughs> but, <laughs> I love you know, and I don't have that on the list, although we've got Bonnet and Outlander, which I felt like wasn't maybe the best representation. He's not a pirate. Yeah. I, I would call him a smuggler. I wouldn't yeah. call him a pirate. But what's interesting is that his name is Stephen Bonnet and Diana Gabaldon, the author, she stated that she thought of him as like a great grandson of um steed bonnet mm -hmm. uh possibly uh, but no but he wasn't a pirate i would classify him as a smuggler yeah huge difference and i guess as a teaser for me i'm gonna have a a guest coming up to talk about smuggling and we're gonna talk about the difference too then about piracy and smuggling and how i think it often gets really mixed up in in the layperson's head um but let's see moving on so we got a ton of treasure islands uh this mm -hmm. one suffers from a lack of muppets but uh, have you seen the Orson Welles Treasure Island from the early 70s, 71, 72, maybe? No, okay. I've seen the 1950s one with Robert Newton. Yeah, that's the classic. Yeah. Um, video games. Are you familiar with Assassin's Creed Black Flag? Familiar with, have never played it. I've watched my brother play it. Yeah. Because um, he wanted me to rate the accuracy as he was watching it. Um, 
from what I, I did research the game though, and I researched the process of creating it. And I know Assassin's Creed Black Flag was one that the creators put in the most effort into making as accurate as possible compared to others in the franchise. Um, Because I know the, I know the concept of Assassin's Creed and they do put in actual historical figures. I know Captain Kidd is in there and I think they try to get the geography of the Caribbean done pretty well. Um, But that's kind of more from like research I've done and just kind of watch watching some clips on YouTube for research purposes and watch my brother play. Um, I myself have not played. I don't have a console for it. And also I just do not have, I'm just not good at video games. Um, (laughs) And um, they do, I I do like what they do with Mary Reed in that game because she is kind of passing as a man for a good portion of it. And then uh, ultimately she is captured and arrested and brought to trial and does um, plead that she's pregnant and does die of a fever in jail. And it's like kind of a driving point. And they, they do a really good job with that. And actually one of our podcasts, from the first season was with um, Sean Dager, who was one of like the lead shanty men that sang, cause there's like 50 shanties in there. And, oh, the uh, soundtrack's amazing. So yeah, the soundtrack was great. Um, and they're doing another one called Skull and Bones, I believe that's just Heard gonna be, uh, I think just, just related to piracy and not the other yeah. storyline. But um, what else do we have here? Hook. Oh, I love Hook. Mm-hmm. Oh my God. That was one of my favorites when I was a kid. Okay. Accuracy zero. <laughs> uh, entertainment value. I give it a 10. It's campy Dustin Hoffman as um, Captain Hook. He's so great at it. You got Glenn Close playing Smee, which is also really hilarious. Yeah. Robin Williams just being absolutely fantastic, but also showing his serious side as well for a bit in that movie. It's a very touching film. Um, yeah, I love it. Entertainment 10, accuracy zero. This this is a comp this is a complicated one for me in my heart here. Howard Pyle's Book of Pirates. I haven't actually really looked through the book of pirates, but I've seen lots of his illustrations. Yeah. Um, um, I think his illustrations are, I, I like his illustrations because um, I mean, they've really helped in pop culture to give um, a visual for pirates. Cause if you're going to make pirates a fictional character um, you have to kind of have them look distinctive um, mm-hmm. compared to other sailors in terms of accuracy. It's not that they're inaccurate. It's just that pirates didn't look different than other sailors because they all had to wear the same types of clothing, Um, you know, so, but I can't really speak to the book very well. Yeah. I'm a huge Howard Pyle fan. I love his work, but you know, it's not not particularly uh, historically accurate. Yeah. Uh, We're getting close to the end of the list here. Very close. Uh, Here's another one. The back of the cap and crunch box with Jean Lefeu. Are you you a Cap'n Crunch eater? And have you seen uh, his adventures with pirates? I haven't had Captain Crunch since I was probably like 10 years old. And I don't even remember liking the cereal very much. I can't (laughs) even picture, I can't even picture what it looks like on the back. (laughs) I bought a box like six months ago and looked at the back and I'm like, wait, there's a pirate on his ship, on Captain Crunch's ship and Crunch isn't sailing it. And that got into like two days straight of deep dive into Cap'n Crunch lore <laughs> with the pirate. And Amazing. I think it, it emerged on the internet a while ago that they had the, in 2012, the pirate Jean Lefoot live tweeted boarding Cap'n Crunch's ship. And oh my God, he gets funny. bit by the dog, who's the captain's first mate. 
and he jumps overboard and is like, I can't do this. But then the Twitter account goes silent when he jumps overboard and for it's still up. But from 2012 on, you never hear anything from him again. So there's a lot of people that talk about the dark, the dark history of, of cap and crunch and piracy and how this guy just died. <laughs> um, That's amazing. <laughs> so yeah, an upcoming article of mine will be the cap and crunch history of, of piracy. Uh, last one on the list. Uh, another for me complicated one cutthroat Island. Oh, you know, I've actually never seen it. Oh, okay. I know. I've, I've seen the last 20 minutes of it on TV. I caught it on TV. Um, and I recognize Gina Davis because I used to love the movie Beetlejuice and Thelma and Louise. So yep. I was like, Oh, I gotta see this. Um, I, have not seen it, but I know it's kind of become a cult classic. I, I need to watch it because uh, I know she plays a female pirate who I believe is based off of Anne Bonny yeah. in a lot of ways. It, it, it's actually like, you know, it's really, people really rag on this one. And I know that for a time it was like the biggest box office bomb. But yeah. I will say on on her ship in the movie, the, the outfits, there's the, the people that are just dressed like you would normally dress working on a ship. Um, there's a great scene where two ships are kind of, you know, broadside and firing cannons. And it's also pretty awful in one respect because they're under like full sail, but you can see the ships are just not moving in the water whatsoever yeah. and just shooting at each other. But it really kind of shows the chaos and stuff of the mm -hmm. fight on board. And for all of the aspects of it, I do think that it doesn't get a doesn't get the recognition that it deserves. Um, I'm going to give it a watch. I know uh, something I do on TikTok every once in a while is I rate a fictional pirate's outfit for accuracy. And I do remember looking at two of her outfits from that film. One I thought was too outlandish, but the other one, I think she's wearing like a plain linen shirt and blah, blah, blah. I was like, that is the exact outfit pirates would wear. Yeah. Yeah. And that's a big part. And it's like, that's how she is. And her crew is decked out similarly and even a little more kind of ratty than that. But it really... Um, I was looking at that and I watched the trailer again a few weeks ago just to see. And I was like, you know, I have a lot more respect for this now. And so I think that it, um, it gets beat up unnecessarily. And I think maybe the world just wasn't ready for a, a pirate action movie with a, with a woman as the star at that point. Yeah. So. Maybe. Okay. So that concludes the end of our list. So I do want to ask you, um, where can people find you? Where can they follow your work, find your work? Um, what do you have out there? So you can, uh, most of the information you can find about me is on my website, which is Rebecca-Simon.com. And I've got links to all the articles that I've written. I've got, I've written stuff for history today, history extra BBC history revealed lots of online publications, um, I've published two books. The first one's called Why We Love Pirates, The Hunt for Captain Kidd and How He Changed Piracy Forever. Um, that was published in 2020. And then this book, Pirate Queens, The Lives of Anne Bonny and Mary Reed. Um, you can, on social media, you can find me on TikTok uh, where I do daily pirate facts. And my handle is piratebeckalex, B-E-C-K-A-L-E-X, all one word. On, I'm active on Twitter. And you can find me there as Beckalex, B-E-C-K-I, I'm sorry, B-E-C-K-A-L-E-X. Mm -hmm. um, uh, those, that's where I'm pretty active. Yeah. And again, my website, but my website has everything linked there. Um, Rebecca-Simon.com. Awesome. And I, I really appreciate you joining us and, and talking about this and kind of sharing these stories. Again, I think your book is really phenomenal and it's been 
you know, my best read so far this year, uh, it's admittedly, we're only in the seventh month of the year. So there's still time <laughs> to be upended by someone else, but really, um, really just great. Is there anything else you want to share with us? Anything that we didn't cover enough or? God, we covered so much because I know I went on and on and on <laughs> about it so much. I think just like, I think like one thing that I, I, I think I intended to mention earlier, but just, but didn't is that I think one of the things that makes and Bonnie Mae Reed so unique is that they're not the only female pirates who ever lived. I'm sure there's some people who are listening that are like, well, what about Grace O'Malley? <clears throat> yep. What about Madam Ching out of China? What about Tiuta Valeria? And I write about some of those kind of in a prologue, but what's interesting about all the other female pirates that we know of that existed before all had very unique circumstances in that they were either married to very powerful men, such as Kings or governors, um, or they themselves had very powerful origins. Whereas Anne Bonnie Mae Reed had neither of that. Yeah. Um, and so that is what makes them so unique. Like they weren't, they didn't become famous as pirates because they were married to someone powerful. Yes. And Bonnie was married to a pirate captain, but he, Rackham wasn't even a good pirate captain. He was a great strategist. He just wasn't really great putting things into action. Um, so their origins are just so unique in comparison to other female pirates that we've had in the past. And that's yeah. one of the things I find so fascinating. Yeah, I, I completely agree. And it makes for such a great story. And, and again, I think that you mentioned that in the prologue, you address kind of a few of the, the famous female pirate captains or pirates, but they're, you know, and it's so complex looking at, at histories at that point and are women passing as men? And if so, we're not getting a historical record of them because they're trying to get away with something that maybe they wouldn't be able to at the time. So why would they document exactly what they're doing? Um, but that's why I, I love this story is those kind of funky beginnings. And again, like you said, not being in this positions of, of power initially and really, you know, seizing that power. Uh, so thank you for that. You're welcome. I want to thank Rebecca again for being my guest. I really enjoyed this interview, and I can't say enough about Pirate Queens, the lives of Anne Bonnie and Mary Reed. I highly recommend it. It's a great history book, but with a really gripping narrative that I think really connects um, and makes it a really enjoyable read. Again, you can find more of Rebecca on her website, rebecca-simon.com, on Twitter as Beccalex, B-E-C-K-A-L-E-X, and on TikTok as at Pirate Beccalex, P-I-R-A-T-E-B-E-C-K-A-L-E-X. A Bark, A Brig, and A Schooner Shape History is a Tall Ships America podcast. For more information about tall ships and the people that sail them, please visit us at tallshipsamerica.org. And as always, if you have any questions for me, episode ideas, thoughts, complaints, comments, please feel free to email me. That's nicholas, N-I-C-O-L-A-S, at tallshipsamerica.org. Thank you, and we'll see you next time. Thank you.